All right, so good morning, church. Um, as Luke mentioned, this is my last opportunity to preach to you guys, and so I'm thankful to have that chance, um, unless Spencer decides to invite me back at some point in the future to, to speak again. Um, but when you're a young guy like me, anytime that somebody's like, hey, we need somebody to preach, you, you kind of raise your hand. You take every opportunity you can because that's the only way you're going to learn and grow is to actually do it, right? So I'm, I'm very thankful to have this chance to speak to you guys again. Um, and I, to me, it's also really fitting as well because if you were around at the very beginning of this year, I had the opportunity to preach the very first Sunday of 2019, kind of challenge us to, to make disciples this year. I had a chance again in the very middle of the year, at the end of June, I was able to preach as well, and then now today as well. And so it's just kind of, to me, really fitting way to, to start and end the year it is kind of an unusual thing for me, but I'm also excited about that. If you were to go back and listen to those other two sermons, you might um, kind of pick up on a common theme that I've been speaking on this year. And so that's just something that God has been teaching me this year, and I hope that he can do the same for you guys as well. And then today, too, um, I'm really speaking to two different groups of people in the room. Um, so today I'm preaching to Redstone Church Johnson City and also to Redstone Church Elizabethan. Even though we're not officially commissioned out necessarily, we are still the church. And so you have two church bodies, two communities gathered together today um, under one roof. And then, like Luke said, we're going to be commissioned out next week. So that's our last Sunday. So um, there's around 30 adults or so and 20 or more kids and teenagers that we're going to be taking with us and going to Elizabethan. So I wanted to be able to, to speak to both groups today. Um, so today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It is in your worship guides if you don't have your Bibles or an app with you. Um, we'll be in the first five verses, but we're also going to flip back to earlier on in 2 Timothy as well. Um, and I thought that this is probably the most appropriate passage that I could preach on today, um, thinking like the, essentially these are my last words to us as a community together, and how fitting and appropriate is it to take Paul's last words. So you go to all of his letters, this is his last letter that he wrote, um, and it's his last final words to Timothy, um, his protege, his disciple in the faith. And so I thought, you know, that's, that's so fitting for us as a community as well, to have our last words together to be the words of Paul as he kind of spurs us on and, and encourages us to continue in the faith. Um, so again, just things you need to know and understand this letter, this is Paul's last words to Timothy. And so Timothy, he accompanied Paul on missionary journeys. He went with him every step of the way. And then now, you know, Timothy is in Ephesus. So a church was started in Ephesus. Paul left Timothy behind to put things into order to continue to preach. Um, so Timothy is preaching um, even against false teachers within the church. And then he is also setting up other elders. So the church will not only survive, but also thrive. And then Paul himself, he is in, at this moment, he is sitting in a Roman prison, um, presumably, and he knows that his end is coming. If you look later on, he talks about how he has finished his race because he knows that his days are coming to an end. And so because of this, these, because of these reasons, his words are extremely pivotal to, to young Timothy, but also they should be to us as well. Just understanding these are the last words that he's going to say should make our ears perk up and listen to what it is that God is speaking through a man such as Paul. And so even though this letter is technically um, a pastoral epistle, meaning it was written to a pastor to a pastor, it is also meant for all Christians as well, right? Because God is speaking through Paul to all of us. And so the words that he has to say to Timothy is ultimately words for all Christians to continue in the ministry that God has called us to in this life for however long that we're here. So if you will, join with me. I'm going to go ahead and read all five verses of the, of the beginning of chapter 4. And so this is the word of the Lord. 
it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure a sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So this passage is filled almost entirely with application points. See, Paul is making statement after statement after statement to Timothy and to us, telling us what, you know, Timothy should do as a minister of the gospel and telling us what we should do as disciples of Jesus as well. Um, if you were to look at the word minister and what it means, you know, you'll go and you look it up. It means to, to tend to someone else's needs. But also if you were to even trace it further back. So I, I'm an English teacher. I'm kind of geeky about these things, you know. Um, so you, you, you trace it back to the Middle English as well. And a minister was someone acting under the authority of another person. And so all Christians, you and I, we are meant to act under the authority of Jesus, to be his ambassadors in this world, to minister to the lost through proclaiming his word and the gospel to those people, and also wherever applicable, whenever we can, to, to meet their physical needs as well. But for us, before we can really get to all these application points, we need to understand why in the world is Paul making this such a big deal to Timothy? Like, why are these his last parting words? So in this passage, you, you have a little bit of a sandwich kind of going on. So you have a, a positive do this group of statements. You have a couple of negative statements, and then you have some more positive like, hey, do this statements. So I want to look again at verses three and four, and th this is really why Paul is saying all these things. He says, do this because of this, and because of these bad things, do this. Okay, so we really need to understand the bad before we can get to the good. So look again with me at verses three and four. They say, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So this is a strong reason for Timothy to be steadfast in his preaching of God's word. And for us, as we should earnestly strive for sound doctrine as well. Because what Paul's saying, he's, you know, he's saying, look, Timothy, the time is coming. It may already be here, actually, that people are not going to want to hear what God's word has to say. They're not going to be able to bear sometimes the hard truth of scripture that points out their sins and tells them what they should do. Instead, they're going to find multiple teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. Teachers who will reinforce their desires or their passions. Some translations, instead of passions, they use the word lusts. And these people, they're going to turn away from sound doctrine, and they're going to seek after teachings that allow them to continue in their sinful ways and to feel good about it. See, the, the sad truth, though, is that this has kind of always been the case um, for us as God followers. If you go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 and 10, God is speaking, he says, of his own people, for they are a rebellious people, lying children, unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers of the prophets, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions. See, God's people didn't want to hear the truth of God's word. The truth oftentimes points out, you know, our sins, our shortcomings, and tells us what we should be doing in God. 
And so not everybody wanted to hear what, what God had to say. Some of them wanted things that were easy on the ears that kind of patted them on the back and said, hey, you're doing a good job. Just keep doing what you're doing kind of a thing. And so this was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament here, as we can see in Paul's letter, and it's true of us in our culture today as well. You see, there are many um, people in our culture today, they don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. If you want to find teachers who will tell you what you want to hear, you can find those people. If you want someone that will tell you that what you're doing is not really bad and just kind of pat you on the back, they're out there. If you want a teacher that's going to use nice spiritual platitudes but never really teach anything from the Bible itself, you can find those teachers. If you want to find someone that will, that will tell you the Christian life will always be good and you're going to be happy and healthy and wealthy, you can find those people today. See, there has always been people that want to hear something other than the truth of God's Word. And so Paul is warning Timothy, hey, because people are prone to these things and prone to walking away from God's Word and the truth that's there, you need to be all the more vigilant and steadfast, Timothy. You need to fulfill your ministry. Um, I found an article. It was written by Dr. Albert Moeller. He's the president of Southern Seminary, and he's kind of speaking on the same things. He's speaking on the importance of preaching and proclaiming God's Word. And so he says that there are ultimately three responses that culture will have to the proclamation of God's Word. And so if you allow me to, to read it, just the short paragraph, he says, in a secular age, preaching will be met with one of three responses. First, we will find ourselves preaching in a context of hostility. This will not necessarily take the form of overt action, but at least in the immediate future, much of this hostility will look like cultural marginalization. Those who listen to us will do so now by paying social capital, not gaining social capital. A cultural situation notably different from our grandparents or even our parents. Second, our preaching will also often be met with befuddlement. For many among the intellectual elites, Christian preachers are not an object of hostility or derision as much as they are creatures of oddity. The plausibility structures of society are so different from our own that many people simply cannot understand us. And finally, we will find that we will not only be met with hostility and befuddlement, but also indifference. Many in our society will not even care enough about our message to spend their energies either in hostility or befuddlement. You see, not everybody in culture wants to hear what God's Word has to say. It was true for Timothy's time, and it's true for ours as well. Not everyone's interested in that. And that's why Paul is listing all of these do-this statements one after another. And that's why this chapter is so full of application for us in the Christian life, because the stakes are so high. You see, the eternal destiny of others are at stake. And so Paul says, fulfill your ministry, be sober-minded, Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You see, there is, there's a ton here in this chapter. And for our naturally works-based hearts, this is a goldmine of a Christian to-do list. Fulfill your ministry. What a powerful command that Paul has given to young Timothy and with such force and authority. But we need to be aware that there is a danger for us here, a danger in our own hearts as well. The danger is that we will jump straight to these application points. You see, I think that's how many of us tend to read the Bible. We go through passage after passage, we kind of breeze through, and we look at what they're outlining and what they're ultimately telling us to do in our lives, and then we go and try to do those things immediately. But don't do this. 
This is the same trap that the, the Pharisees and the scribes and others fell into during Jesus' day. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were looking at the scriptures and what they could do to kind of work for their own salvation, um, to work for God's love and forgiveness. And if you're anything like me, this is kind of the natural tendency that I fall into. I look at God's word and I think, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and it's going to make me right with God. Or if I do these things, then life will kind of work itself out, right? This is a works-based mentality. I'm working for God's love and approval. So before we can go into today's passage and really understand what does this mean for us, what is Paul telling us, what is God telling us to do, we need to make sure that we have a firm grasp of the gospel. Because the hard truth of the matter is that you and I, we cannot fulfill our ministries by ourselves. You and I will never be able to fulfill the ministry that God has given to us, our calling as Christians. We will never live up to any sort of to-do list that we find in the scriptures or any sort of standard that God lays out for us. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are or how hard you try, you will never be able to live up to it. And the crazy thing is that we still continue to try to day after day after day. You see, many of us, we, we treat the gospel and living the Christian life um, as if, for example, maybe you owe some sort of debt, right? Let's say perhaps that you've gone to med school, so you've got a lot of debt. I know a lot of people in here are med school students or doctors. You've got a lot of debt, right? And then you go and you buy yourself and your wife some brand new car, okay? And then, oh yeah, don't forget, you just put a down payment on this house that you've been wanting for years, right? And now you're swimming up to your eyeballs in debt. But here's the good news. Some really rich person, they come along and they pay every single penny that you owe. So now you owe absolutely nothing. But not only that, not only do they pay all of your debt, but they say, you know what, you're never going to have to work another day in your life. Here's a large sum of money, something like $2 billion. This is yours to have. You can live off of it. You never have to work another day in your life. But then what do we do? We, we graciously accept that gift, right? We say, thank you for this $2 billion, but we set it to the side, right? Because we're like, well, I'm, I'm not good enough for that yet. I haven't worked for that $2 billion yet. I, I can maybe take a thousand. I, I kind of deserve that. But I'm going to spend the rest of my life working really, really hard up to the point of deserving that $2 billion. And then if we ever finally get there, then we're like, okay, now I can take that money. You see, this is how we tend to treat the gospel. We take what God has given for us, where he has paid our debts and then given us Christ's righteousness in return, and we think, to some degree, I still have to continue working for this. And it's just not true. See, what, what Christ has done is already finished for us. And we can never live up to anything in and of ourselves. You'll never be able to live up to what Christ has already done for you. It is done, it is accomplished. And so we need to remind ourselves of the gospel message on a daily basis so we don't fall into this trap of trying to work for what has already been given to us for free by the blood of Jesus. And Paul, he's aware of the sinful hearts of man and, and of young Timothy as well. And so he actually begins this letter to Timothy with the gospel. And so even though we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, I want to jump back to chapter 1. So if you do have your Bibles or an app, 
flip there. If you don't, then you'll just have to listen to me. But I want to read a short passage in chapter 1, starting at verse 8, where Paul is kind of laying out this gospel message and reminding Timothy of this message, um, because it's what we need as well. So starting in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and following, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is what I preached on, actually, ironically, back in June. I didn't realize it was 2 Timothy chapter 1 until I went back and looked, and that's what I preached on. Um, So I've already given you the gospel message back in June. Hopefully you remember that. Um, But what you need to know, this good deposit that Paul is speaking of to Timothy, the good deposit is the gospel, right? So through the ministry of Timothy's mother and grandmother, as laid out in uh, 2 Timothy, and through the ministry of Paul, Timothy has been given the gospel message. And so now he's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And now that he's a recipient of that, Timothy is now responsible to go and do the same with others, to go and give it away to others who will be able to give it away to others, as is outlined in chapter 2 of this uh, passage. So even though Paul's immediate context is to young Timothy here, um, where he has been given the good deposit, we need to be aware of the fact that God is speaking to us as well. And if you are saved by Jesus, if you are his disciple, you also have been given the good deposit of the gospel. And a deposit isn't given to you to just sit on for yourself. It's given to you to be guarded, but also to give away to others as well. And so if you are a true disciple of Jesus, you have a responsibility to give that away to others. You see, the gospel message, it's both simple and profound. It has profound ramifications. See, simply, we need to understand that God is a holy God and a good God. He has created you and he has created me. And yet sin entered the world, this perfect world that he made through the sin of Adam and Eve and, and through your sin and my sin as well. And so now because of that sin, we are separated from God. We have no way of getting to him, no way of being with him. We are in darkness. And the sin that separates us from God, it can only be, be taken away by Jesus. And so God, he sent Jesus into the world to us who were dead in our trespasses and sin and deserving of death. But God sent Jesus into the world to redeem us from that sin, to bring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so through God's mercy, he has made us alive together with Christ. And he has saved us from that death. And now you and I, we are called sons and daughters of God. You see, the good news of the gospel isn't just the fact that Jesus paid our debt, right? He did pay our debt. He paid the debt of our sins. But not only that, he gave us so much more in return. He gave us his righteousness. 
And so now God looks at us with, as having the righteousness of Christ. And so because of this, we no longer have to work for that $2 billion, so to speak, right? It is already ours in Christ Jesus. We no longer have to work for anything. And yet, because of all that we've been given, we still have a responsibility to step into those good works, right? You see how that works? So whenever you read a passage like this, you can't jump straight into those application points and think, I've got this, this, and this. You need to pause in your hearts and go back to that gospel message and make sure you understand your heart. Hey, Jesus has paid for everything. It is already finished. And because of that, I can step boldly and confidently into the works that Christ has called me to because he's already done all the hard work for me right? All we got to do is step into what he has already ordained for us. And not only that, but after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, right? To do in us, to both give us the will and the desire to obey. That's found in Philippians chapter 2. So not only does God give us the desire to fulfill our ministries, but through the Holy Spirit, he gives us the ability to fulfill our ministries as well. And so that's why it's so important for us to grasp this gospel message and what it means for us. Because you see, I'm, I'm a sinful man, right? I'm going to sin every day, and despite my best efforts of trying to fulfill the ministry that God has given to me, I will utterly fail day after day if I do so in my own power and my own strength. And the same is true for you. But thankfully, we don't have to. Thankfully, we don't have to do it in our own strength because we have been generously given the righteousness of Christ, and we now have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, giving us the ability to obey. And so it's because Jesus paid the debt for my sins, because God now sees me as having the righteousness of Christ, that I can fulfill my ministry, right? In and of ourselves, we will fail. But through the power of Jesus Christ, we can fulfill the ministry that he has called us to in this life. So stop working for what has already been paid and done for you. Stop trying to earn anything because you cannot do it. But because of what Christ has already done, you can ultimately fulfill the ministry that he's given to you. And so now with a, a firm grasp of this gospel deposit that's been given to us, we can finally move into today's chapter as well. So I know it took a little while to get there, but I didn't want to jump into that application until I made sure we really understood the gospel message. So what I want to do today is to just kind of quickly outline or trace Paul's um, argument here or his, his recommendations to Timothy and basically just break it down into chunk for us to make sure that we understand what he is saying to us, okay? So beginning in verse 1, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. What a way to make a point, right? I mean, Paul begins with a strong command to Timothy, and ultimately is translated what he's saying as, I solemnly charge you. So this is already serious enough for Timothy to perk up his ears and kind of lean forward and listen to what Paul is saying. But not only that, Paul isn't just using his own authority. He is bringing in the authority of Jesus and God, right? He's saying, I charge you by God and Christ Jesus. So he's bringing the, the full weight of God the Father and God the Son into what he is saying to Timothy as well. So now Paul really has Timothy's attention. And if you can imagine being in Timothy's place where you have essentially the, this mentor, this person that has discipled you at such a high level for so long, and now they're ultimately essentially on their deathbed and they're giving you their last words, you're probably going to sit there and listen. But not only that, they lean over to you and say, I'm speaking with the authority of God and Christ Jesus. 
So we should be on the edge of our seats, ready to listen to whatever it is that God is speaking through Paul to us, because he is speaking to us. And Paul is saying, look, I'm not only commanding you to do these things, but God and Christ Jesus are as well. Oh, and don't forget, Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to judge you for whether or not you have fulfilled the ministry he has called us to do. See, Jesus is going to determine whether or not you have done what he has set you out to do, young Timothy. So you need to listen up to what I'm about to say. And so that's what he's saying to us as well. And that's the way he starts this chapter. And that's a very, very powerful way. And so after he makes this point and Timothy is, is perked up and he's really, really ready and li- to listen to what Paul has to say, then is when Paul goes in, he gives a positive statement, those negative statements, and then positive again. So I want to reread verses two through five real quick as we continue to kind of break down Paul's argument here. So starting in verse two, these positive statements, he says, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching because or for the time is coming when people will no longer endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths and so because of these things as for you timothy always be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry so ultimately, this, this one point that Paul is driving at throughout his letter, he wants Timothy, above all else, to remember to fulfill his ministry. And that's what he's saying to us as well. And so then we have to ask ourselves, well, what, what does it mean to fulfill our ministries? How do we go about doing that? Well, I think the other positive do this statements are ultimately what Paul means in fulfilling your ministry. He's saying, preach the word, be ready, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, with complete patience and teaching, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. I think all of these statements are the fulfilling your ministry. So do all of these things, Timothy. God and Jesus, they command it. And don't forget, you can't do it on your own, Timothy. Only by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us can you guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. See, God's power and his power alone can help you to do all these things. So thank goodness for all of us, we don't have to do it on our own, right? So what I want to do is to look at these seven things. And seven sounds like a lot, but we're going to kind of hit them kind of quickly. These seven facets of Timothy's fulfilling his ministry. And so by extension, ultimately, it is us fulfilling our ministry and what it means to do so. Because this past, again, this letter isn't written from just one pastor to another. It's inspired by God to each and every one of us. And God wants us to understand that we have been entrusted with the gospel message. And because of that, we are responsible to do something with it. So again, if you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you have a responsibility to fulfill the ministry that God has given to all Christians, namely to to preach the good news, to preach the gospel message to the world, and to make the name of Jesus known so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So while seven things may sound like a lot, again, we're going to go through quickly. So if you choose to take notes, I'll try to repeat them for you. Um, Rachel wanted me to remind, wanted to remind me, make sure you go slow, make sure you repeat things, because I tend to get excited and go a little too fast. Okay, so those seven things, and of course, they're all laid out in those passages. So if you miss something, it's in your Bible. So number one, how do we uh, fulfill the ministry that we have been given? Number one, we preach the word. Sounds simple. The word preach here um, could also be translated to, to herald or to proclaim. So here, Paul is using really strong emotions, and he's exhorting young Timothy, saying, proclaim the word of God, herald the word of God 
to the world. And remember, this is not just for Timothy alone, it's for you and me as well. And so God is saying, proclaim the word to the world, herald it to the world. We've been trusted with the gospel message and we shouldn't keep it to ourselves. We should open our mouths and proclaim that to the world. And what word is it speaking of? Well, of course, it means all of Scripture, right? If you were to look back in chapter 3 of this letter, verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, sorry, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It says, All of Scripture. It is all profitable, it is all useful. And it will help the disciple of Jesus to be ready, to be equipped for every good work, including proclaiming the word of God to the world. And remember in other places, in John chapter 5, 39, Jesus tells us that the scriptures testify about him. That's what we read earlier today. And in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, John speaks of Jesus saying, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So, church, proclaim the word of the Lord and be a herald to the lost. But know that this is going to require a lot of work, right? It's not going to be easy to take this entire Bible and to proclaim that to the world. It's going to require you to actually study God's word and and to be in it, to know it well enough to give away to others. It's going to require you to to rely on the Holy Spirit to do these things because you can't do it by yourself. You can try, but you will fail if you do it in your own power. So you're going to do it all through the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, it's going to require you to open your mouth and speak the name of Jesus. So if there is anything that you want to resolve to do in 2020, it should be to open your mouth and to proclaim the name of Jesus to the world. So number one, what do we do to fulfill our ministries? We preach the word. Okay, number two, we should be ready in season and out of season. So when do we proclaim the word? All the time. You see, it's gonna, um, it means that we're going to have to herald the Scripture or proclaim the Scripture to people who are both willing to hear it and those that are not necessarily willing to hear it. It's going to mean that we need to be ready to proclaim the Word when it's convenient for us to do so and when it's inconvenient for us to do so. We need to be ready to herald the good news of Jesus when it is an easy season of your life and everything is just kind of falling into place and going really well. And it's going to mean that you need to proclaim the name of Jesus and his word when it's a really hard season in life, where it seems like everything is falling apart and where it seems like it's really difficult to see the goodness and mercy of God. You see, to be a, a disciple of Jesus, it means to, to give up any claim that we think that we have over our own life. Because it's no longer ours. It's been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And so he purchased that and tells us, I think, 2 Corinthians, he did so not just for us, but so that way we would live our lives for him. No longer for ourselves, but instead for him and for his kingdom. And as Jerry likes to say, if you ever heard him before, order your lives for the sake of the kingdom. And so what does this mean? It means do whatever it takes to truly live your life for God. So what is it going to take for you to know God's word enough in this next season of life to be able to give it away whenever you're ready or not? Maybe it's going to mean that you need to take a break from the the next favorite season of your your favorite TV show on Netflix in order to spend time in God's word. Maybe it means you're going to have to get up a little bit earlier each and every day to spend some time in God's word. Maybe it means you're going to find somebody that's going to hold you accountable to, to spending time in God's word. 
Because if you don't know it, you're not going to be able to give it away. But whatever it takes, do it. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready when it's convenient for you and when it's inconvenient. Okay, moving on. Number three, what does it mean to fulfill your ministry? Well, we are supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So these are a little bit almost archaic words that we tend not to use as much in our world today. But the idea here is that we should have wisdom when it comes to helping other Christians in their faith. There's going to be times where reproving another person is necessary. See, the definition to reprove, it's basically just a gentle or kind correction. Like when a teacher um, might kind of chide a student who comes to late, late to class, right? It's something minor, not a big deal, but you're kind of giving a slight course correction. And a reproof is not the most serious correction, but it's still going to be necessary at times. But what I want you to do whenever you're reading this passage and looking at these words here, I want you to be very careful when it comes to reproving and rebuking others. Because if you're not careful, and if it, it could be really, really dangerous if it's applied misappropriately. Because what it can become is ammunition to unnecessarily hurt other people. See, we, we've all heard countless stories of those that have unnecessarily received wounds by people within the church who are thinking that they're doing what they're supposed to, right? They're, they're reproving and rebuking, and they're saying what needs to be said, but they're not doing so out of love. And it results in this terrible, deep wound that a lot of people have when they walk away from the church and walk away from Jesus because of it. If you go and do a quick, simple Google search of the word church hurt, it comes up with over 187 million entries or results. That's a lot out there. A lot of people have experienced hurt because people have done so incorrectly. So whenever you think of a word like reprove, think of it more as just a loving encouragement to maybe repent for certain actions or to encourage someone to continue um, to, to grow in spiritual maturity. A rebuke, though, is a little bit more serious than a reproof. It's a, a harsh and severe criticism. It's used by Jesus in many places in the Gospels, including Matthew 17, when he rebukes a demon. So it's a pretty serious thing if you're going to rebuke another person. This sort of rebuke, it might be used with authority to demand a, a brother and sister to turn away from sin, right? Especially if they're in a habitual sin and they're continuing to walk away from the church and from the teaching of the church. A rebuke might be necessary. In Luke chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus speaks of re rebuking. Um, and he says, pay attention to yourselves. If a brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So you see, a rebuke is not given out of place of pride or a place of being better than another person. A rebuke is given with the goal of lovingly encouraging someone to repent from their sins and turn back to Jesus. And then finally, an exhortation is meaning you offer advice, you make urgent appeals, or you offer encouragement. So we are always to speak the truth in love in order to build one another up. We offer encouragement when a brother or sister is going through a difficult season. We offer encouragement and exhortation after we reprove or rebuke another person as well, because we're always doing so out of a stance of love and humility. So we reprove, we rebuke, and we um, exhort. Number four, we're halfway there, um, with complete patience and teaching. So this ultimately should be at least somewhat self-explanatory to us. So as we're reproving, rebuking, and exhorting others, we're going to do so with complete patience or long-suffering. Be willing to take the long road with another person. Because the fact of the matter is, nobody's going to be like Jesus day one, right? It's going to take the rest of our lives. No one is completely sanctified overnight. Your friend, your spouse, your parent, your pastor, your child, whoever it is, it's going to take a, the rest of their life to continue to be sanctified in Christ. 
And so it's going to require a lot of patience, a lot of long-suffering of us to be willing to walk alongside of someone as we're encouraging them in their faith. So think of what it's like to, to raise a child, right? It takes a lot of patience, a lot of long-suffering, a lot of teaching to help them to learn how to speak, to walk, to potty train, to disciple them throughout their life. It's a really long process. So be patient, be a teacher. Number five, how do we fulfill our ministry? We're to be sober-minded. So Paul, he is warning both Timothy and us to keep an eye on ourselves, right? Because remember in verses three and four, he just warned us that people are going to walk away from sound teaching and to step towards teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. And so Paul warns us not to allow this to happen to ourselves, right? He's saying, be vigilant, watch out for any false belief in your own hearts. Likewise, to be sober-minded means to be clear-minded and to be in control of our minds. So don't allow yourself to be swayed by any sort of false doctrine or false teaching that's out there. All Scripture is profitable. Go back to the Scripture because they are useful to point us back to Jesus. Number six, fulfill your ministry by enduring suffering. So be prepared to suffer for Jesus. And when it comes, Paul says, endure it. These, man, or the, these words, they're coming from a man who's sitting in a jail cell, right? He's a little cold because he asked for, for Timothy to come with a, an extra blanket, right, an extra cloak. So he's sitting there in this cold, dark, dank prison cell, and he is definitely suffering. And he's encouraging Timothy, hey, when suffering comes, endure it. And all the suffering that Paul experienced in his entire life, that's nothing. It all pales in comparison to the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross for you and for me. Endure suffering because Jesus is worth it. And of course, this is not the only place in the, in the Bible that talks about suffering for Jesus. There's lots of places. If you actually want to know these later on, I'll, I'll come speak to me. I'll give them to you. But just quickly to name several places that speaks of suffering for Jesus. 1 Peter 4.1, 1 Peter 5.10, 2 Corinthians 4.17, 2 Timothy 3.12, James 1.12, John 16.33, Luke 14.27, Psalm 119.71, Romans 5.3, Romans 8.10, Romans 8.35, 2 Corinthians 1.3-4, 1, 1 Peter 4.12-13, 2 Corinthians 4.8-10, and James 1.2-4, just to name a few. I thought about reading all those, but that would take a minute, so I'm just going to list them out for you. But suffering as a true disciple of Jesus, it isn't just a possibility, God's Word says. It's a guarantee. And so we need to both prepare for it and endure it when it comes. There's many sermons that could be preached on suffering. But for now, you're just going to go back and look at this passage and see what it is that God has for you. So finally, number seven, how do we fulfill the ministry that God has given to us? We're to do the work of an evangelist. So simply put, Paul is telling us to do the work of preaching the gospel of Jesus to the lost. We're to be bearers of the good news and to be about the business of heralding that good news to everyone. So share the gospel, give away the name of Jesus, open your mouth and speak. In each of these actions, in all seven of these points, this is how you fulfill the ministry that God has given to each and every Christian. So our next steps after we read a big passage like this are both simple and profound. There's only four. You don't have to write these down unless you want to because I'm going to hit them very quickly. 
But they're simple steps because they should be pretty obvious steps. But they're also profound steps because, again, we can't do them outside of God. So here are those four simple steps. Number one, you should pray. You should fall to your knees and pray. Beg God, ask him to help you in fulfilling the ministry that he has given to you because you cannot do it outside of him. Even on your best days, you're going to fail. So pray. Number two, you need to know the gospel. You and I need to be reminded of the gospel every single day to save us from our works-based hearts and to be able to rest in the finished work of Jesus. And we have been redeemed by him, right? Now we are a royal priesthood and we are to proclaim his excellencies to the world. We are to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world. So we need to know it and to be able to give it away. Number three, we need to very simply study the scriptures. We need to find ourselves in God's word. All the scriptures are profitable. To give it away, you're going to need to know it. You're going to need to spend time reading it and studying it. You don't have to be a scholar or a preacher. You don't need a seminary degree to do these things. You just need to simply read God's word, turn, open your mouth, and give it away to somebody else. It's both simple and profound. And then finally, fulfill your ministry. Be obedient. Step up and step out. Open your mouth and give, it, give away God's word. Give away what you have been given, the deposit that you have been given. None of this is optional. This isn't so that God will love you more. This is the ministry that God has given to you because he has saved you and redeemed you. So what is the ministry that God has given to every single one of us? We are to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is God's word. So now during this time, we're going to step into a time of communion. And at Redstone, we love to take communion every single week, and I love the fact that we do that. It's not demanded to us in Scripture, but to me, what the communion table signifies is that finished work of Jesus, right? And so just like we need the gospel every single day, we need this symbolic representation of the gospel to remind us that all the work is finished. Jesus has done what we could not do on our behalf. He paid our debts, and then he's given us his righteousness, And so we can come to the communion table in celebration of that fact, and then we can walk away from it, stepping boldly and confidently into this world, fulfilling the ministry that God has given to each of us. And so we come to the communion table, and we take the bread. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he was with his disciples, he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and blessed it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, and given on behalf of for you. And then likewise, he took a chalice of wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. So the blood of Christ that has covered our sins and given us a new covenant where we can be bold and confident in what he has done and confident to step into this world in which we live and to daily fulfill the ministries that he has given to each and every one of us. So during this time, we, we hear God's word revealed to us, proclaimed to us, and we all have the responsibility to respond to that word. And there's different ways of responding. It might mean that you need to kind of hang out in your seats a little bit longer and spend some time with Jesus. 
um, before you approach the communion table, that's okay. Take as long as you need. Um, if you're ready, there'll be men all around the room, and you can respond by going and taking communion. At Redstone, we love to take in groups of people, so if you see a little pocket of somebody somewhere, feel free to join in if you feel comfortable in doing so. It might mean instead that you need to respond by going and speaking with someone else and having them pray with you. And so Bruce and A.G. Colson are in the back corner of the room over here. If you want to speak with somebody, if you need the gospel reminded, if you just need them to pray with you, they're there and happy and willing to do so as well. So if you go ahead and stand um, with me, the, all the stations are open. There are men in every corner of the room. And as you're ready, respond in whatever way you feel comfortable.